Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Well, I mean, you know, there was a kicker back in the in the, the day. I don't remember what years, but I think it was in the 1940s or might have been the 50s but he had half of a foot oh, and he was a kid that long ago i think it was like 60s or 70s like I don't even think it, it might even have been 60s yeah but yeah. he, he actually the, had the a competitive record. advantage because his foot was squared off and it was easier for him to kick the ball <laughs> i was gonna say he had a he was one of the record holders for the longest kick like, yeah he, he had, had it until denver until somebody broke it in denver which i can't remember if it was the matt prater or if he had like the 62 before jason elam and Whoever had 63 got the 63, but he had it for a while. And yeah, like Brad said, I, it's so funny. If you want, I mean, he kicked like, like everybody kicked like this back then, but it was so funny because they just run from straight behind the ball and just tow it. Yeah. Yep. They run like had five a, feet and just tow it. Yeah. Yep. But he had and the, it was yeah, even better advantage. when it was a team that had like the, the right guard was also the kicker. Like that was <laughs> the best. Oh, man. Sports used to suck. <laughs> no, sports used to rock is what you mean. Podcasters here. This is Brian, joined by Brad and John. How are you guys doing tonight? Good. Good. Football's right around the corner. Got the uh, Cincinnati Bengals on deck, the uh, youngest team in the NFL. So those really? goddamn millennials, you know. I don't know the youngest team in the NFL. I saw Ashley. I think it was talking about how young they were. I didn't realize they were the youngest. I think they're the youngest, youngest on average in the NFL. Well, yeah, that's that. That I don't know how else you would define that. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I don't know. Um. So, well, I guess we'll start with just some general Panthers stuff. So, Trey Turner still on the concussion protocol, not looking good to play this Sunday. Um, Curtis Samuel still dealing with what the Panthers are calling a sickness. But we all know it's a what they called a mild heart surgery of some kind. Um, Demir Bird appears to be ready to return, um, but Denoris Searcy, the starting safety, free safety at that, is probably not going to play either because he's in the concussion protocol as well. So this is good. We got yeah, great two starters out for this game. It's good. It's a good thing. Um, I, I don't know if it says if it's good or bad, but I haven't noticed the Norris Searcy at all in the preseason or the regular season, ever. I, I haven't really noticed him either. 
I've the only him when he's I've noticed him when he's when he's laid a hit that caused him to get hurt. That's about yes, it. This is the, the only two times I think I've ever even I've noticed he was on the field is when he's concussed himself because both times were completely him just headbutting another guy running at full speed. Yeah, and both of them more immediate like, oh, geez, man, don't tackle like that. <laughs> oh, nope, yep, yeah, now you're concussed. Yep, that's what you get. That's what you get, buddy. Um. One so, one thing about the injuries, I guess this is you're probably gonna ask about this, but um, with Curtis Samuel, I've seen several people be like, "Oh, God, man, this I thought this was a minor procedure. Why is he taking so long to get back? It's, like, it's been two weeks from him having a heart surgery. Like, let's let's, let's relax before we start asking him to run around and collide with other large men." Yeah, I expect him to be back after the bye at best. At this that point, would probably be the the prudent thing to do. That'd be the target. You know it's bad if John is asking people to lay off Curtis Samuel. So <laughs> I'm surprised I'm, I'm John fair. didn't say why didn't he play week one? I'm a fair I'm not I have nothing against Curtis Samuel. especially not personally. I just think he's been overrated based on what he's actually shown as a player. Like I understand the projections of him being a good player eventually, but like People acting like he's a big playmaker and big yak threat when he averaged seven yards a catch last year. Like, let's, let's let him show something first. That's all I've been saying. I believe you said he was bad. To be yes. precise. Yeah, I, I think you've. You, I yeah. think you've used that word too. Yes, I have. Yes, <laughs> to this thus far in his career, he has been very bad. So, not to say he can't get better. And I know this is what we we're on the show to discuss. Curtis Samuel, a guy that's probably not going to play. Not saying he can't get better, but right now, if I was going to give Curtis Samuel a grade as a player, like in a vacuum, it'd be bad. Kick this off to a hot start. (laughs) Um, So, looking at the injuries even still, um, obviously it seems like the starting offensive line will be Taylor Moten, right tackle, right guard, uh, Greg Van Roten, center Ryan Khalil, left guard would be um, probably Tyler Larson, if I were to guess. Um, and we're probably looking at uh, Clark. Was it Frank Clark? Chris, Chris Clark. Clark. Chris, Chris I Clark. think you switched Chris Van Roten Clark. and Larson. But did I? Well, I, think, I think Larson played those right two guard. guys starting at those two guys starting at both of the guard positions. Yes, um, that's the important thing. Yeah, and Chris Clark. Starting the left tackle seems to be the case, so not not too different from last from last week. Um, but at safety, it seems like at least looking at the Falcons game, uh, they're going to go by it with a committee thing with uh, Rashawn Golden and Colin Jones, the ace that, that runs the place. That runs the place, my dudes. The guy who can't be cut. He'll be here. The Brenton until- Burson of the secondary. He'll be here before that. He'll be here after that statue goes down, in my opinion. Um, <laughs> you know what we need to do? We need to start. I know we asked the Gina and DW. I think a couple weeks, like last year, but we need to start asking every guest we have, like who their teams, Colin Jones or Britton Burson or whatever it is, like guy that seems to make the team every year for God knows what reason. It's a good idea. They have to be more. Well, uh, I'll throw that in the notebook for John ideas. Um, yeah, the first one. That that one to- that notebook totally exists. Um, <laughs> it's actually an empty notebook. Uh, now it's not. <laughs> it's been sitting there for a while collecting dust, but now it's yeah. not. Um, 
Say, Brian has watched the Rachel McAdams notebook more than he's opened the John notebook. <laughs> it's a great film. It's a great film. Um, so, yeah, that's obviously not a good situation. So, I guess to uh, segue into the Bengals offense. So, obviously, yeah, secondary issues aside. Plus, Dante, I didn't even mention this. Dante Jackson may not even play on Sunday. So, Corn Elder might be starting as well. Jackson so, didn't seem overly concerned, though, did he? He didn't. He did not but, seem overly concerned, but this is Ron Rivera we're talking about, and they may they may hold him out to prevent it from being worse. Just put him on injured reserve. Yeah, just yeah, just exactly. Give him, eight week, give him eight weeks to recover from this hamstring injury. Better safe than um, So that the problem here with this secondary issue is that the Bengals have this guy named A.J. Green who just went off for three touchdowns last week. Um, that could be a problem. Um, so going with the passing offense, um, John, I know you did the defensive preview, so I'll start with you. What's your uh, biggest concern here with the passing defense? Probably that the Bengals are being intelligent with their offense and changing things up and not putting A.J. Green in one spot all the time. So he's in the slot a lot, which means there's like in a perfect world, he'd run up outside every time because that's what teams used to always do with their number one wide receiver. And we could just have James Bradbury mirror him, but they put him in the slot and James Bradbury is not going to go in the slot. So we'll have Captain Munnellin or Corn Elder, mostly Captain Munnellin covering AJ Green at times. And that's probably a mismatch. Not so, ideal. No. So that would be the the main concern. And also Tyler Boyd is a good slot receiver in his own right, even if A.J. Green is lined up outside. Indeed, Tyler Boyd had a really good game last week as well. I think he had, like, almost 100 yards receiving and a touchdown. 84 yards? Something like that. He had a lot. Yeah, like, that's that's pretty good for your second wide receiver. And uh, with a beat-up secondary, that's that's not good. It's uh, bad, as, I mean... as we say in the, uh, in the <laughs> professional circles. Um even if we didn't have a, even if secondary was healthy, we'd probably be at a disadvantage. Though I don't, I don't know if it's any worse than the Falcons, though. Like, true. Jones, Sanu, and Ridley probably is. I give that them the edge over Green, Boyd, and Ross because Ross has two catches so far. They also have good. Tyler Eifert, who might tear up Shaq Thompson. I don't know. Is Tyler Eifert even good anymore? I think he is. He's just injury prone. Yeah, but his injuries... He's okay if he's healthy. The problem is he's never healthy. That's what I'm saying. To steal this from Brad, he looks like the guy where he says, hold my beer, and then hurts himself. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's just like... I mean, I haven't watched the Bengals for an extended amount of time enough to see like what he looks like, but I just... He's had several back back injuries, and I think he's had a couple lower body injuries. like, Like... I would expect him to not be the athlete he was before. You would expect that, but you might be wrong. <laughs> I'm pulling up his stats. While you're doing that, Brad, give us your He has five catches defense. for 67 yards in two games and no touchdowns. Yeah, he I could tell you he, he has like seven fantasy points total. <laughs> yeah, he's on pace for like a 500-yard season. So, Brad, what's your take on this uh, secondary versus Bengals passing offense? It's not very good, Brian. <laughs> your take's not very good. Shocking. 
no, the situation's not very good. My take <laughs> is perfect. Uh, it, it, it's going to be bad, like especially if Dante Jackson can't play. It's uh, you know, Corn Elder and Captain Munerland being two of your three corners, and then Colin Jones and Mike Adams being your two safeties is not very good. So we we're we're have, we're depending on Dante Jackson being able to play. And one thing that's being underplayed a little bit, and I know that part of it is that he hasn't been starting, but John Ross, they could just throw him out there and uh, chuck it deep, and I don't know anybody on this team other than Dante Jackson can keep up with that guy. Well, that's, uh, the thing is, I don't think anybody on any team can keep up with John Ross, but he still hasn't, they still haven't been able to use him yet. They did so. in week one. He had a nice catch then. It was, yeah, for three yards. That's good. Could burn him over the I top. Thought he, I thought he scored a. I thought he scored a really long touchdown. That was in the in preseason. Oh. Uh, also, and it was against then. the Bills. So I don't think anything you do against the Bills really counts this year. So he's the Curtis Samuel of the Bengals. Yeah. Without so far. the heart condition. Without <laughs> the heart condition. Yeah, he's got like. Yeah, and not to say that he's completely incapable of anything. Like, I wouldn't say like, oh, just don't don't cover that guy. He's not going to catch the ball. But like, I didn't even mention him in my defensive preview. I mean, knowing the Panthers, we are the team. He's going to go off for 250 yards and four touchdowns on Sunday. He has two catches on six targets for 11 yards right now this year. Great prime for a bounce-back game against a team where you get bounce-back performances, so that's good. That's a great start. We are set up for having another uh, backup running back do his thing out of nowhere. I'm actually kind of banking on that, so it, it will not happen. Uh, Gio Bernard is one of my fantasy running backs, and I'm probably going to have to play him. So, oh God, we're saved! Thank you're thank saved. You. We're saved. He, he'll get shut down. He won't do anything. But do you know who the Bengals signed yesterday? Thomas oh yeah, Rawls. they, 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 they signed Thomas Rawls. Yeah, the guy, the last guy before Tevin Goldman to run for 100 yards on the Panthers defense, and also as a backup running back. So, at the, at the very least, he can give them some uh, tips on how to do that. So. Yeah. 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 So uh, they they looked at the schedule and they saw that like who who nobody runs for 100 yards against the Panthers. Oh, Thomas Rawls did. Nobody signed him. Ooh. It's their kryptonite. Yep. So looking at the rushing game, um, front seven last week did not really generate any pass rush aside from one play by Wes Horton that caused an interception by Dante Jackson. Um, the Bengals are currently like second in the league in a pass. I guess pass pressures against as far as an offensive line goes, which is a good thing for them. Um, so this could be a problem this week as far as uh, maybe not running the ball, but certainly getting after Andy Dalton, that could be an issue. Um, Julius what? Peppers is going to be, is going to have his third game under his belt since the regular season started. So we'll have a little, maybe he'll start to, uh, come along but overall i'm not super optimistic uh john what were you gonna say here's a wild stat that i was that shocked me when i read it so on you know how espn has like their little their little snippets when they do their projections uh-huh um panthers defense the panthers rank second in percentage of plays on which defense makes contact with their opposing quarterback that doesn't seem right unless they all came against zach prescott no, they definitely made contact with Ryan a couple times, just not enough to uh, throw anything off. But, yeah, yeah, but that, I mean, it was a surprising stat that made me feel a little better because it means, or at least we were close 
like I know we sacked Prescott, I think, like six times. And so we obviously got a lot more success against the, the Cowboys and the uh, Falcons. But at least we had to have done something against Matt Ryan to keep that percentage so high. So hopefully we can translate that to some sort of pressure against Andy Dalton because we definitely need it. Like he's been sacked. Like you were saying, he's been, he, and I saw it earlier, he's been sacked less than like anybody else in the league so far. And he's so definitely – Panthers defense is going to touch the red rocket a lot. Got to, got to touch them. Got to get some hands on them. Uh-huh. He's a lot more prone to mistakes than Matt Ryan, I think, too. If you get him under pressure, like he'll hurry stuff and make really bad throws. Yeah, he he's he's weird like that. He'll either be the worst quarterback in the league, or he'll throw for like 400 yards. Like there's no there's no mediocre Dalton game. You know, yeah. he's either a complete joke or he's Peyton Manning, and I don't know which one we're going to get. From what I've, like, between, like, what I've pieced together from what I've read and then from what I've watched him play, it's like if he gets time and is able to, you know, he's he's un, that doesn't get pressured too much. Like, he'll make all the throws, and he'll make the right decisions. But if he gets hurried and, and like, his process gets hurried up at all, then he's he's just throwing the turn. He's closing his eyes and throwing it to wherever he has thinks somebody might be. That's a bit of an exaggeration, but you get the idea. Yeah. So basically we're expecting Matt Ryan or we're expecting Dak Prescott on Sunday. That's the best way to put it. Um, so looking at the Bengals offense. Um, no, we just or, did. Sorry, the, <laughs> Bengals, the Bengals defense. I was pulling up the page for their depth chart. Um Biggest issue right now I can see just looking at it is Bengals defensive line versus Panthers offensive line. Um, Panthers tackles have been pretty good, but Panthers interior has not been so good, and they will face Geno Atkins and Andrew Billings in the interior on Sunday. Um, Geno Atkins, I believe, according to Ashley, was like third in pressures on a quarterback. Sounds right. This could be an issue against this interior front line that caused that had a lot of issues against Atlanta and even against the Cowboys. So um, they also have Carlos Dunlap and Michael Johnson on the outside. So those aren't ideal matchups for Taylor Moten and uh, Chris Clark. So the passing game could be a so. One of the questions I was asked today on Twitter when I did the uh, hashtag Ask CSR on the Twitter handle um, what I, one of the questions I was asked was, do we expect the Panthers to run the ball more? So Brad, I'll start with you. Do we expect them to run the ball a bit more against Cincinnati? No, I think what they're <laughs> going to do is they're going to approach it the same way that they approached Atlanta. And they're going to do a lot of dump off passes to Christian McCaffrey. Uh, those are successful. And I think because a, you know, it gets Christian McCaffrey in space it plays to his strengths of being able to make people miss, you know, especially if he can get in where the linebackers are. Uh, and I believe that it will also make Panthers fans mad. So <laughs> that's what I want to happen. Uh, run the dang ball, uh, you know, but uh, I don't, I don't think we're going to, we're going to game plan to run more than we normally do. I think we're going to see a similar game plan to what we saw against the Falcons. I and think you it's know, fun. You bring up- 
I just want to say one thing real quick. You bring up a good point that uh, Ron Rivera mentioned this last week after the game, that uh, you throw those checkdowns to Christian McCaffrey and they're successful so much, eventually the linebackers start to cheat up a little bit. They're not like 11 yards back. They're more like five, seven yards back or so. And that opens up the middle of the field. So, yeah, I think that that has some merit. And obviously, you know, overall pick Christian McCaffrey, run the dang football with him, for God's sakes. He's a running back. Why not? <laughs> um, but anyway, John, go ahead. That was what I was about to say. I think it's funny that, like, for all of the Mike Shula times, I mean, we have an offensive lineman run the football. Sorry I had to interrupt, interrupt the broadcast. But um, offensive lineman with an eight-yard carry. Anyway, um. That we the whole time we had Mike Shula, it was like we run too much. We gotta stop running the ball so much. We gotta be more. We gotta make be more unpredictable, and all that stuff. And then we've so we've been more unpredictable and we've thrown a lot more. And it's like, oh, why are why are we not handing the ball off more? What are we doing? Yeah, we drafted a running back. Why are we using him as a wide receiver? <laughs> um. So yeah, I, I yeah, like we talked about it. I think we talked about it on Tuesday. It's just yards are yards. Checkdowns are like handoffs. Just yeah. Eight yards is eight yards. It doesn't matter how you get it. Mm-hmm. It it just matters that you do. And it only matters it, – it's only a problem that you get eight yards when it's third and nine. Like, that's the only time it's a problem. Yeah. You know, if if you get eight yards, you've you've gotten eight yards closer to your goal, which is the end zone. Like, it doesn't matter if you run it 50-50 with passing or if you, you know, you pass it every single down. If you move the ball all score points and don't let the other team score points you succeeded in what you were trying to do it just it, it it me and john we've talked about this i don't know how many times but it's just funny to me how fans get stuck in these archaic ideas of how football is supposed to be played like it's it you know it it, it you have I mean, to run a- it on first down like you you have to run it on second down you can only pass it if it's longer than five yards to go like that none of that mm-hmm. shit matters what matters yeah. is moving the ball and not letting the other team move the ball and it's not just fans it's coaching staffs too like and, my, and broadcasters too because my favorite's always the like first and goal on the water like why are they throwing the ball you just got to punch it in when like pass plays on first from the one yard line are more successful than run plays i always thought that was entertaining but um to answer Brian's question about if I think we're going to run more, I think it'll be a lot like the Cowboys game. Um, and that will come out pretty, like, pass-happy. Not ha- pass-happy, but, like, 55-45 pass to run. And then if we get a lead, we'll run more. I will say, I would oh, like to see... We'll run out Anderson. the clock, huh? <laughs> yeah, well, that's what we do. But, like, like against the, the Cowboys, McCaffrey and Anderson had... Well, McCaffrey, Anderson, Armand Moore, like non-Cam Newton carries. We had not 19 non-Cam Newton carries and 29 dropbacks. So, and then I don't, I can't, because I don't know off the top of my head how many of Cam's carries were scrambles. But we were more passing and running in a game we won. And I would imagine the same thing would happen against the Bengals. And the Bengals are somewhat similar to the Cowboys in terms of they have a pretty strong defense. I will say I would like to see a little more of C.J. Anderson running the ball because, like, he's been averaging, like, five yards of carry every time he carries it. And granted, like, you know, it's change up when you're running, when you're passing the ball all the time and suddenly you throw C.J. Anderson out there and the defense isn't necessarily expecting that. But 
I felt that running the ball, and I, I stress running the ball, he's done fairly well. So if the offense is struggling to move the ball in the air, maybe C.J. Anderson a little bit more, maybe? C.J., he hurt his case because, uh, you know, the goal would be that when C.J. Anderson's on the field, it doesn't tip if we're going to pass a run. And uh, he did not do so good in the passing game last week. So that would... He did not. He didn't. <laughs> that would tip off a little bit that we might be intending to run. Um, but, I mean, I wouldn't mind more of C.J. Anderson. I think McCaffrey's been fine. Like, I don't... I guess not, they could be on the field together, but... I'm not advocating for, like, a 50-50 timeshare. It's just three carries by C.J. Anderson in a game when he's averaging five yards a carry. I feel like is not enough. That's That's all I'm saying. But not, I yeah, we, we talked about that Tuesday. I, I think he should get, you know, six to 10 carries instead of three. Yeah. I think he would have if we weren't behind so much so quickly. Yeah, I, I do too. Like if we were winning, it would have been the CJ Anderson show. Like we would have, we would have been like, why in the hell is he running it 15 times, 20 <laughs> times? <laughs> we're, we're back to the, well. the Ron Rivera. Like why you don't need to run the ball 45 times in a row when you have a three point lead. Right, exactly. So, looking at the Panthers' offense as far as passing goes against the Bengals' defense. So, the Bengals' defense, as far as the secondary goes, I feel is a little bit underrated. Um, Patrick is definitely a solid quarterback, number one. Um, William Jackson was a first-round pick a couple years ago. Uh, Jesse Bates was a pick this year for them that a lot of uh, Panthers fans might remember as somebody we thought the Panthers might take in the first round this year as far as free safety goes. He was good enough that they cut Georgia Loca and uh, Sean Williams as well. So the Panthers' passing offense struggled a little bit up until the second half against Atlanta. Um, a lot of drop passes, a lot of bad routes, a lot of uh, missed routes, such as people running the wrong route, so Cam Newton throws a duck to the secondary. Um, so who there, – there were obviously a few guys that deserve a little more snaps in this in this passing offense. Um, I'll start with you, John. Who who do you want to see more out of in the passing game? Uh, the, well, DJ Moore is probably going to be the answer for both of us. Am I, am I yeah, right with that? Yeah, pretty much. Man? Spoiler alert, that's my answer too. (laughs) Um, Yeah, just because, I mean, based on the sample size we have, he scores a touchdown every single time he uh, catches the ball. So we should try to do that more. Just for Um, context, for everyone listening to this podcast, he caught the ball once. So anyway. I I think anybody listening to the podcast knows that. Um, It it doesn't matter if he's only caught it once. John's statement is (laughs) accurate. He he has every time he catches the ball, he scores a touchdown. Mm Mm-hmm. So I'm I, I I advocate running that play until we don't score a touchdown with it anymore. Um, yeah, we should run that. We should run the DJ Moore scores a 51 yard touchdown play every time. Every time. That's what it's called, too. Insider <laughs> information here. Defenses wouldn't see it coming. Nope. I, I mean, I want to see more of Ian Thomas, but uh, his drop disappointed me. DJ Moore is like you know he's our first round pick, so obviously there's more anticipation yeah. over seeing him play. Or anticipation. <laughs> <laughs> He's got a stupid name, though. That's, I hate it. his name's getting annoying. <laughs> right, he just he just needs to play more snaps so we can stop talking about him doing more of anything and just talk about him as a player. 
play. Yeah, I want to see. I want to see more of him. I want to see more of him in the offense, and for him to get more opportunities to catch more touchdown (laughs) passes. But you know, since John used DJ Moore, I'll I'll make it different for our listeners because I actually like them and and actually care. And I'll say Ian Thomas. I would like to see what he can do. Uh, He did disappoint when he dropped that that touchdown pass in the end zone, but. I think he has a lot of potential. We do have to remember he's a very raw prospect. Uh, he doesn't have a lot of experience playing tight end. I think he has potential. So I, I would like to see what, what he can do. I was personally impressed with the way he got up. I mean, he didn't catch the ball, but he was able to like maneuver his way into a soft spot in the defense and get himself wide open. And granted, he dropped that pass, but, you know, fourth round pick who doesn't have a whole lot of experience that's something that over time can be corrected so I was I was very impressed with that play and he made up for it soon later by getting the first down so one thing I want to specify with Ian Thomas I want to see him get the ball in a yak opportunity because he is like a freight train when he's got the ball in his hand yes he is he's scary when he runs the ball with like <laughs> five yards yeah I would not want to tackle that guy I said it when we drafted him, but like watching him run with the ball it looks so much like Rob Gronkowski. Not obviously he's not that caliber of player, but just like he holds the ball, like if he's holding the ball and he completely like you can't even see it in his hands, his hand just completely engulfs the ball, and then he's taking these huge strides and guys are just like bouncing off of him and stuff. So Which is like a to... funny contrast to Greg Olson, who looks like he's <laughs> running away from his brother, like after he just took his lunch money or something. Greg Olson might have the shortest strides in the NFL, and he's like 6'5". Yes. So my guy that I want to see more of, and I have a little bit of a caveat here, is Jarius Wright. And the reason why I mention him is I think that the whole Torrey Smith taking the majority of offensive snaps should be relegated to Jarius Wright. And I think Jarius Wright should be that guy, and Torrey Smith be the guy that comes in to, like, be a third down guy or something like that. Cause right. There's there, He's the right guy for the job. I agree with that. Yes. Well, we all know this with Cam Newton. When he trusts the receiver, that receiver typically does well. Um, Ted Ginn yeah. is a good example. Like it's not like Ted Ginn was a good receiver before he came to Carolina. And I would argue that Jarius Wright was actually a better overall wide receiver before he came to Carolina than Ted Ginn was. He's probably more um, of a reliable receiver. He might, he doesn't have like the, He's not as explosive, but he's more trustworthy, yeah, more reliable. He seems to be always be in the right place at the right time. Yeah, I'm glad you guys are making all these puns here. Um, so <laughs> I would like to see Jarius Wright on those like first down passes rather than the third down pass because you know if he doesn't get the first down on first down, not where on third down, there's a lot more to it. He just, he seems to get open and Cam Newton seems to know where to find him. They have a good feel for each other. So I think that like, if you're looking at the offense right now, if you're going with a two wide receiver set, you want to see Christian McCaffrey, Devin Funches, and Jarius Wright as the top two receivers, in my opinion. So he would be on the right side of the formation? (laughs) No, he'd be on the left side because he's the number two receiver. Brad. (laughs) I think, um, I think, all jokes aside, I think Jarius Wright is a good third down receiver. Uh, you know, every team needs, quote unquote, that guy that the quarterback can depend on to just be open 
on third down. Like if it's third and eight, you know, he runs a nine yard route and he's there. So if the other play you want to run isn't there, you can just, you know, throw it to to your guy and get the first down and keep the chains moving. Every good NFL team has that that guy. Like, you know, we've seen um and sometimes it's a superstar, sometimes it's not. Like, you know, New England has um Rob Gronkowski. Um, you know, he's that guy, but you know, we we could have Jarius Wright be the quote unquote Jericho Cotchery that we had in 2015, but just be a better version of it. Right. My my thing, my counter to Brian's point of him being like the number two receiver is I'm assuming he's done all of his, you know, all of his reps have come in the slot and essentially we'd be kind of essentially asking him to be playing a new position if we moved him outside to be the second wide receiver and two wide receiver sets. So that would be the... I mean, not necessarily. You could still have a tight end on the outside and like him in the slot with Devin Funches on the outside. But you know, normally I would agree with that, but that tight end would be Greg Olson. And exactly. I don't I, I don't think Ian Thomas is ready to do that yet. Yeah. Fine, guys. I, so you you'd <laughs> rather have Tory Smith on the outside. I got gotcha. you. Then Ian Thomas probably. Yeah, I, I mean, would rather I've have Tory Smith than Ian Thomas right. on the outside. Well I think I've in like I think Honestly, I, I think the better thing is Torrey Smith runs the nine route and takes a defender away, and Jarius Wright is is open ten yards downfield in the middle of the field, and he's wide open. You know, I think that play works. That's fair. I'll give you that. I would say no. Like as a player, I would rather have Jarius Wright on the field than Torrey Smith. But I'm just saying, in terms like in terms of feasibility, it it might be tough just because. Like I said, I don't know if Jarrett's right. Is yeah, it, it, it's like putting Christian McCaffrey at fullback. You know, you want him on the field, but not there. Yeah, like, it's just like McCaffrey could also like McCaffrey would probably be our best wide receiver, and I guess he probably does run the right side of the slot. But like, if we put him outside, like he's he wouldn't know what he's doing out there. He's never practiced that for this team. He wouldn't know the plays. Actually, he has. Well, he has like a a, a few packages, but he doesn't. You know, well, he would know like, what to do because he he's a coach on the field. Like he's a, okay. a film room warrior. So it's been a while since we've gone on that. We went on those. <laughs> he may not be accustomed to it, but he grinded out because that's the kind of player he is. <laughs> yes. So as far as the offensive line goes, we already touched on this a little bit, um, but seems like he's going to have himself a field day. Unless, for some reason, Ryan Khalil works out the little crick in his neck that he apparently has. Um, however, I'm I'm actually kind of optimistic about Chris Clark and Taylor Moten on Carlos Dunlap and Michael Johnson. Because those guys aren't as good as Tack McKinley and uh, uh, Vic Beasley. Vic Beasley, there we go, um, on the Falcons. Because those guys are young and fast, where, those, where the guys on the Bengals are... A little bit older, probably don't have the same speed, same burst. Um, but what are you guys' thoughts on that? Uh, Brad, I'll start with you. I think you pretty much hit the nail on the head. I think the key is going to be stopping Geno Atkins. Like if the if the the interior line can figure out a way to do that, I think Cam Newton will have time, and I think the offense will have a chance to to put some points on the board. Yeah, I think like 
the offensive line played much better than expected, I think, last week, and I can't imagine they'll get any worse with time together, more time to gel and more experience together. I don't know who, who said it, and I don't know if it's true or not, but I was reading comments, and somebody said that uh, Van Roten was just pointing and saying, hey, block that guy to Chris Clark on every snap. And I would believe, I believe that. that. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, that's like like Chris Clark is probably not going to need to do that, and that means, well, you know, there'll be more synergy and everything. So I, I think they'll do better. Plus, like Brian said, I think the edges are not quite as fearsome as they were against Atlanta. Yeah, we haven't talked about Chris Clark's comments they made earlier in the week yet either. He had probably <laughs> the best quote about play the fist that I've ever heard. And he, has, he said, we're like the fist. That is like the most awesome way to describe the offensive line. And the Panthers, is their fist, it's like that shot teacher that, that his name's Lucky, and he's like missing half of a thumb, and, and like he's got a little bit of a nub taken off of another finger. Like that's our fist. Um, but, you know, I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, it's that's a, it was a good comment. It was an interesting comment, but a good comment nonetheless. <laughs> <laughs> I see why we like that guy. Also, I, I don't know how much we talked about on the show, but it was crazy that we even signed an offensive lineman that has played in the NFL before. Yeah, I was yeah. a little bit shocked by that. I couldn't, I couldn't believe that. <laughs> I was fully expecting immediately to line up at left tackle mm-hmm. on Sunday. <laughs> so You and me both. So let's get into scoring predictions here. Um, John, I'll start with you. What do you expect the final score to be? Well, I'm going to go ahead and pick the Panthers for the 19th week in a row. Uh, 24 to 21. That might be optimistic that we win a close game like that, but that's what I'm going to say. What about you, Brad? I'm going to say Panthers 28, Bengals 28. <laughs> consecutive ties in the series consecutive ties i said in the slide chat but i don't know if you guys remember the whole thing about like the mayor's bet like the winner of the game gets to be the queen city the real queen city yeah they tied tied. we we still haven't settled that bet i I think we're gonna tie again i mean and if we tie again then the series would still be tied because it's right now it's two two one also, the NFL seems to need to tie every week, so why not us? Yeah, why not us? Do you guys, just as a quick tangent before we finish the show, um, do you guys like the overtime rules with the shorter overtime and getting like having more ties? By the way, my yes. pick is uh, 35 to 20 to 28 uh, Bengals. Yeah, so yeah. We well, we knew we were going to pick the Bengals anyway. Brian, your, your mojo ran out. We lost to the Falcons, so you can start picking the Panthers to win. Like your superstition is gone. Whatever. Anyway, go ahead, John. Just throwing asked, that out there. I asked my question. I was like, do you guys like the new overtime rules to where like it's more likely to end up in ties? Or would you do you think football needs winners? I think of the no, regular I season. think that it, I I like ties. What are you gonna say, Brian? <laughs> I like ties. I think in the regular season it makes sense only because like you don't want people getting hurt in like double overtime. Because you know they're they're going through a sixteen game schedule, so yeah. 
I think it makes sense to like have the game end after a certain point just to preserve health. Um, I'd love to see more wins, obviously, just because ties suck and they fuck everything up. Like, uh, well, it worked out for us, but uh, when the Panthers went seven, eight, and one and managed to make the playoffs, like, you know, if that game went on another quarter, I guarantee that the Bengals probably would have beaten the Panthers. But I, I, I just, I feel like from the general standpoint point of the overall entertainment of the season i'd rather have the guys be healthy and not be gassed from four extra quarters of overtime to get a win than uh get a tie you know yeah if you ask me i like, guess it's me being a soccer fan but that's what i was gonna say the teams are just equal like sometimes there's not a better team sometimes they're both that's that's a tie i I was going to say, like, if, if you asked me this a few years ago, I'd probably say, like, no, ties are stupid because they mess up the standings. But now that I've gotten more into soccer and I've kind of learned to accept ties, like, I like it. I like how it messes things up. And Brian touched on my favorite thing about ties is that people say after tie, oh, that tie could come back and help them. It's like, you know what else helps them if they just won? Like, like my, Plus, my dad. you know, at the same time, you know, with the the, the current NFL rule, the, the overtime is 10 minutes, right? Mm-hmm. Didn't they shorten it to 10 minutes? Yeah, they did. Yeah. Okay. But, you know, both teams get a possession unless the first drive is a touchdown or a safety. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if the extra 10 minutes isn't enough to decide a winner, then there's not a winner. Like we don't have to be. Like, I wish they would go back to the, in college, they would go back and change it to where you could tie because I like that system. I don't think there's a, there has to be a winner. I I think that's dumb. Uh, And I hope there is the trend of a tie every week continues. I want to see a team finish um, like nine, five, and what would that be? Three, you know? Or, or two. I, I want to see teams with multiple ties. I don't. I don't just want two or three teams to have one tie each. I want. I want like Cleveland, for example. I want them to finish o twelve and four. Like that would be amazing <laughs> if that were to happen. Yeah, I just. I think it'll be fun when we start getting into playoff time if there are a bunch of ties where it just just completely messes with. All yeah, the how do we figure out who, who's going to win the division when everybody has a tie? Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. Well, like somebody was talking about, like you know, if the when the Falcons or not the Falcons, the Packers and Vikings tied, it like if it's going to help one of them in the long run, it's like it's going to probably most likely end up like screwing over the Bears or something because instead of like the Vikings and Packers are going to finish the season instead of one being like ten and six, the other being nine and seven, they're both going to be ten five and one, and then the Bears are going to be ten and six and miss the playoffs. Yeah. So yeah, it's going to be like the NFC South was in 2014, except the teams are going to be good. Mm-hmm. Like instead of getting screwed over because you went, you know, seven and nine, and one other team went seven, <laughs> eight, and one. You know, it's going to be the opposite of that, and it's going to yeah. be great. So I, I, I like it, and I hope I hope it happens again this weekend. Well, that's fair. So we have anything else we want to get out of our chests? Anything before this game on Sunday? Uh, no, I'm good. Yeah, I think I've said all I need to say. All right. Well, from all of us here at the 4th and Short podcast, John and Brad are here with me. We will enjoy the game with you on Sunday, and we will talk to you next week about whether the Panthers win or lose. So thanks for joining us. Have a great weekend, and we will talk to you soon. 
Keeps the football. Takes off to the end zone for the touchdown. He takes the handoff and he scores. Avoided the Dolphins behind the line of scrimmage and took it in for the first touchdown of the night. Newton keeps. Lowers his shoulder and takes it in for the touchdown. On second and goal, shovel pass for Caffrey. Touchdown. And off dive for Jonathan Stewart, and he's in for a touchdown. That's intercepted by Kingpin. He has more of those than any linebacker in the league over the last five years. You know. It is good, and Carolina gets a road win. My name is Spencer Hall. My name is Jason Kirk. My name is Ryan Nanny. And when we combine, we form the, the Shutdown, Shutdown Fullcast. I keep telling you, we're not Voltron. The Shutdown Fullcast is technically a college football podcast, but it's also a show about lawn care disasters, regional grocery stores we love, Tennessee Batman, homeowners associations, Bears and video games. I mean, there's also some actual football discussion, like about coaches having huge contracts or coaches making terrible decisions or coaches saying really stupid things. Or the NCAA saying really stupid things. Yeah, there's lots of stupid things in this big, dumb, beautiful sport. Sometimes we talk about football games. Allegedly. If you want to take college football exactly as seriously as it deserves to be taken, come find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you listen to podcasts like this one. The Shutdown Podcast. It's not Voltron.